All right, well, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad you decided to take time out of your busy weekend to come join us. Um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is we all get to a point in our lives. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your experience has been. We all get to a point in our lives where we just realize things don't go the way we thought they would, that maybe things didn't turn out the way we'd hoped that they would. And what happens is we begin looking for answers because we know we're missing something and we know the very thing that we're missing seems spiritual. So we come to places like this. We come to, to places and we wonder, could Jesus be the answer? And we come thinking that we're going to gain information, that we're going to put something into our head that, that suddenly makes everything make sense. It fills that hole inside of us. And what happens is we begin to study Jesus and yeah, we gain information, but the real transformation occurs when we realize we're starting to fall in love with a God we weren't even sure still existed. And what happens is the more we experience his love, the more we surrender, the more he changes us. And so every week we just come back and we thank him for what he's done and, and we surrender more so he can change us more. And the weird thing is we don't change, he changes us. And so every week we just come here. And so whether you know this God I'm talking about or whether you're just trying to figure things out or whether you ended up here and you have no idea how you got here, I'm glad you're here. And if you're watching online, I'm glad you're watching online. We're going to start a series today that is the story of my life and actually it's probably the story of your life. So let me start with this. Have you ever run from God? Yes. Okay, let me rephrase that. Do you remember or are you willing to admit when you ran from God? Do you know the areas in your life where you're running from God right now? We're going to spend the next eight weeks looking at a man in the Bible who ran from God. And who ran from God, and as always, when we look at people in the Bible, we begin to see ourselves. God specifically went to a man named Jonah. And he told him exactly what he wanted Jonah to do. And Jonah did a 180 and took off the other direction. He found himself eventually in dark circumstances, in the most desperate places, in the smelliest, most disgusting places that we find ourselves. Jonah learned that even though he had run from God, God had never run from him. And when he cried out to God, God was right there with him. Let's look at the word for a minute. Jonah 1, verse 1. And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Every time I think about Jonah, I think about Moses. Not the Moses of the Bible, the Moses of the dumpster. Years ago, we were on a mission trip to the Los Angeles Dream Center. We're getting ready to go to one of my favorite places in the entire world, Skid Row. I love Skid Row. Because that's where the most desperate people in the U.S. live, and the people who are most desperate and honest for God happen to be. They're the leper colonies of our day. And I know that Jesus specifically reached out and touched lepers. As all the buses were leaving to go to the places we were set to go at the Dream Center, they realized that one bus didn't have an adult leader. So at the last minute, they asked me to switch buses. And I have to admit, I was disappointed because I really wanted to go to Skid Row, but I reluctantly agreed to go to another area of town. When we finally got to that area we were going, I got off the bus and my first thought was, wow, these are nice houses. And then I looked over and there was this strip mall and, and there were people there and small businesses and a laundromat and a hotel that was surrounded by prostitutes and drug addicts and LA's weird that way. I mean, you could have mansions and next door have flop houses. It was the craziest thing, but I was leading a group of teenagers and we were going to witness to people, to tell people about Jesus. And as soon as they began engaging with people and got into small groups and began praying and sharing with people, we'd been there about 30 minutes, and I just asked God, I said, God, show me what you see. 
In this moment, what do you, Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you see here? And I looked over across the parking lot, and there was a dumpster back there with those gates that close. And through the crack of the gate, I could see a foot, a bare foot. Now, my first thought was, this could be a body. So I told the kids, stay where you're at. I'm going to go check something out. I'll be back in just a minute. And I walked over to the dumpster. And when I pushed the gate back, there he was, Moses. Moses was sitting on some boxes next to the dumpster, reading the Book of Mormon. It was like the dumpster was his cubicle. I asked him what he was doing there, and he told me, he said, I'm trying to figure out why I'm here. And I joked with him, and I asked, I said, are you trying to figure out why you're here like here on earth, or why you're here like reading a book next to the dumpster? And he said, I'm just trying to figure out both. I'm trying to figure out how I ended up here. I told him that I believe God sent me all the way from Sarasota, Florida to tell him the answers he was seeking would not be found in that book, but in a different book. As soon as I said that, he stood up and he bowed up and and I thought he was going to hit me. And I was expecting some rant about the Mormon faith. And instead he said, you're not from Sarasota. Stop lying to me. And he's getting madder and madder and more amped up and more agitated. So I pulled out my driver's license and I showed it to him. And he fell back on the boxes and his hands started shaking and he started crying and I had no idea what he was doing. It took him a few minutes and then he said, well, that's my home. I used to deliver washing machines at Sears at the mall in Sarasota's home and Sarasota's where I lived before well, before I ended up here. And I asked Moses if I could sit next to him for a little while, and I began telling him about Jesus. And I remember sharing with him the story of Jonah. How Jonah had run from God, and God stayed with him, and God made sure that he turned. And, and he looked at me, and he said, Doc, I guess we're all Jonahs, aren't we? And then I asked him a question. I said, look, has God given up on you, or have you given up on God? You see, if God didn't lose sight of Jonah inside of a whale, he hasn't missed you next to this dumpster. He rearranged my world to get me on this bus, to get me to this dumpster today. We talked for a while. I encouraged him to come to church as we rode that afternoon. We spent the afternoon talking about Jesus, talking about life, talking about second chances, talking about how you can't run away from God because he's everywhere. And as soon as the pastor did the altar call, Moses ran down to the altar and gave his life to Jesus. You see, sometimes when you run from God, you run right into him. I've met a lot of Jonas in my day. The streets are full of people who ran from God and found themselves sleeping in boxes or in tents on the street. But let's don't kid ourselves. I've met Jonas in country clubs, in gated communities, in the doctor's lounge, in big homes on Longboat Key, at the yacht club. I've met Jonas of all races, all walks of life, all circumstances, all economic realms, and most importantly, I've met Jonah in the mirror. Moses was right, we're all Jonas. We're more like Jonah than we care to admit. When we run from God, it doesn't take long for a whale to swallow us. Maybe the darkness you feel is the belly of alcoholism, drug addiction, a painful relationship, the emptiness that wealth brings, the uncertainty of cancer or the arrogance of racism. There's lots of whales ready to swallow you. Whales come in all sizes and shapes, but the darkness is the same. Maybe you've resisted what you know God has told you to do. Maybe you're dealing with the circumstances right now. The very real consequences of the decisions that you've made, and maybe it feels dark, and maybe it feels hopeless. Maybe God seems distant to you, and you're ready to give up on God because you feel like he's already given up on you, when actually the reality is you've just given up on you. Perhaps you think you're unworthy, that what you've done is too bad, that you're not good enough, that you've always failed, that you never seem to have succeeded at anything except making mistakes. 
we're going to see that Jonah was a prophet of God. But he was messed up. He was not a happy prophet. In fact, it is almost embarrassing that his story is in the Bible. Jonah was arrogant, self-righteous, prideful. He thought he knew better than God often. He's a racist, a card-carrying supremacist. He hates certain groups of people, and he hates them with a fury. And yet God did not give up on him. And he'll never give up on you. If that's you, I'm glad you're here for this series. I, I would encourage you with the words I told Moses. Don't give up on God because he's never given up on you. We can all learn a lot from this incredible short book. We're going to see ourselves in Jonah. Jonah is one of the books of prophecy in the Bible. It's a unique book because it's prophetic. And like all stories and scriptures and books in the Old Testament, they tell us the story of Jesus. But when we look at Jonah's story, we see a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to go through. But this prophetic book is different from all the others. Most prophetic books are about God's message delivered to the people. This one seems to be about Jonah the prophet and his interaction with God. Jonah is one of the best known books in the Bible. Those who challenge the Bible often choose this book and this story as their weapon. Most of us, or many of us, grew up with Jonah on a felt board, or maybe in Veggie Tales. It's a really nice children's story. Children, do what God says, or a whale's going to swallow you. Yeah. Great motivation in preschool. It certainly captures their imagination, and it seems like a fairy tale. But this story is not about a fish. In fact, it's not even really about Jonah. The story is about God, and specifically God's compassion. It is in Jonah that we see compassion for those who follow and love him, and the same compassion for those who don't. Jonah is a racist. He absolutely hates with fury the Assyrians who live to the north. And he's furious at God for having compassion on them and not destroying them already. They don't deserve to breathe, Jonah would say. Now, remember, the Assyrians were the invaders that God used to punish the northern kingdom. Because the northern kingdom, called Israel, rejected him. And we'll go through this in a minute so it makes sense. Jonah saw those invaders come into the northern kingdom, and, and he saw them do all kinds of things. And he'd done it, the, the Assyrians were known to be ruthless and cruel, and they'd made their way all the way down to the northern border of northern Israel. We all have negative feelings about other people. If you don't think so, you're lying to yourself. We all wrestle with jealousy. We wrestle with what God gives others and, and what we think we deserve. In fact, jealousy and arrogance are the, the seeds of racism. We've all been in a mess that we brought upon ourselves. We find ourselves in the consequences of choosing our way instead of God's way. We know what it's like to be jealous of others. We often blame God for what's happened to us because many of us just can't accept that our decisions led us to where we are. I think all of us have experienced Jonah moments in the darkness the belly of the whale that is a problem that often we brought on ourselves. We're going to learn through this book, like every book of the Bible, that you can read it on the surface, you can understand it as a crude children's fable, or you can dive deep and find the spiritual truth that God wants us to see. For those who are willing to dig into the story of Jonah, there is gold there. But let's start by answering the obvious question. Is this book a true story? Yes. Was Jonah a real person? Yes. Scripture interprets Scripture, 2 Kings 14.25. He restored the border of Israel from Lebahamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. And he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hepper. Was Nineveh a real place? 
Yes. First mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. It's a great city. It's the capital of Assyria. It was built by Nimrod, who was the great-grandson of Noah. God tells us in the historical scriptures that Nimrod was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Nimrod built a mighty city, Nineveh, on the Tigris River in Assyria. Okay, real person, real place, but it's a fable, right? I mean, people can't be swallowed by a whale. Nobody believes this actually really happened, right? I mean, a man got swallowed by a whale, lived there three days, spit up on the shore, and suddenly he's alive again. What fool would believe that that's a true story? Matthew 12, 39. But he answered him, Jesus speaking. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus believed the story of Jonah was real and true. Jesus compared the truth of this story to the truth of his resurrection. If this story didn't happen exactly as Jesus said it did, then neither did his resurrection. It's a true story for Jonah, it's a true story for Jesus, and that makes it a true story for me. Now I need to give you a little bit of Old Testament history. As we start every new series and we go into a new book, I need to give you the background so you'll understand what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. Let's talk about the historical context of this book. Remember that King David, you remember King David? He lived, just easily think of it this way, a thousand years before Jesus. Makes it easy. Okay, so King David was the king everybody loved. All of Israel was together under King David. Everybody loved King David. He, he was a foreshadowing of the Messiah. He was the great king of Israel. They were at peace under him. And, and so there were 12 tribes all living in the promised land, and David brought them all together. When David died, it only took about 80 years for everything to fall apart. About 920 B.C., the fighting among the tribes of Israel got to be too much. And the two tribes in the south stayed south, and they were called Judah. And the ten tribes went to the north, they were called Israel. They didn't like each other. You know, we picture the 12 tribes of Israel. These dudes were fighting. They did not like each other. They couldn't stand each other. And in 920, the Jewish people split into two different, essentially, nations. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Okay? And so you can see in the pink here, that's Israel. And in the green, that's Judah. The Dead Sea is at the bottom. The Sea of Galilee is at the top. Okay, so 920. Just remember, 1,000, David, about 900, they split. Now, as they were doing all this, the Assyrians, the biggest nation in the world, was beginning to come into the north. And they had their eye on this area of land because it was a huge trade route. They were the big dog of world power at the time. They were eyeing both kingdoms, but particularly they wanted to take the northern kingdom first. Now, what happened was the, uh, Jonah was a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? His compatriots, his sidekicks, were Amos and Hosea. So whenever you read Jonah, Amos, or Hosea, it's the northern kingdom. Now, what happened was, is once these two kingdoms split from each other, they stopped following God. Both the north and the south began worshiping Baal. They began worshiping false idols. God kept sending prophets to warn them, but they would not listen. And just like we studied Jeremiah a while back, who was a prophet to the southern kingdom, Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom. And God basically said, look, we're having a struggle here with the way you guys are following me. You're worshiping false gods. I'm going to bring punishment on you. The prophets kept showing up. If you keep doing this, God's going to do something. If you keep doing this, God's going to do something. Well, here's what God did. God said, I'm going to use an unfaithful, disobedient, horrible nation to bring my judgment upon my people. Despite the Lord's special choice of Israel and his kindness to her during the Exodus and the conquest, these people failed to honor him, and so God had to bring his imminent judgment upon them. 
The unthinkable was about to happen. And so God basically said, I'm going to take a pagan nation, and they are going to invade. And so he sent Amos and Hosea to announce to the people of Israel that he would spare them no longer, that he was going to send them into exile beyond Damascus. Now let me tell you what that means. The Assyrians were very unique. Most countries, when you invaded a country and you took it over, you just made the people slaves and you kept them there. The Assyrians did a couple things. First of all, they raped, pillaged, killed, and got rid of anybody that was weak. This is what they did. And then they would take the people that are there and they would send them throughout their empire so they couldn't coalesce and form power. So the Assyrians are famous for conquering people and sending them out to their areas so they can't all be together. That way they can't rise up against each other. And when they go out to those areas, they begin to worship other gods and intermarry and all those things, and you essentially kill the culture. See how that works? Okay, so that's what the Assyrians love to do. They send people out, they kill the culture. He says, I'm going to send you in exile beyond Damascus. You're telling a Jewish person who's been brought to the promised land, I'm going to send you out past Damascus, that's up towards Carmesh and up in the Assyrian Empire. During this time, the Lord sent Jonah, another prophet, to Nineveh to warn them of judgment. So here's what he's doing. He's saying, look, I'm going to judge the northern kingdom, and I'm going to send two prophets to go talk to them. And when that's done, after I use this pagan nation to destroy them, then I'm going to destroy the pagan nation. And he sends Jonah, I want you to go to Assyria and tell them that I'm going to destroy them too. Now Nineveh is a huge Assyrian city, and it's currently called Mosul in northern Iraq. So you look at Iraq, see Mosul, that was Nineveh. It's on the east bank of the Tigris River. Nineveh was an important junction for, for traffic and trade along the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. It had wealth from many places. Now, here's what happens. Assyria almost completely destroys the northern kingdom of Israel, just as Amos and Hosea said in 726 B.C. Okay, now the people in the south are fine. They're having a great time. They're doing their own thing. And so when Assyria invades the north, the north is almost completely wiped out. And the people in the south say, see, we were right. God is punishing the northern kingdom. And so you'll see in all these stories in the Bible this tension between the north and the south. Now Jonah is supposed to go to the Assyrians and tell them that God is going to punish you as well. And it turns out that a hundred years later, that's exactly what happens. A hundred years after the Assyrians invade the north, God then turns his punishment onto the Assyrians for all the things they've done. I know that's a lot, but we'll get to it. Now, eventually, after all this happens, it takes about 150 to 200 years. Then the Assyrians come in and they want to take over the south. But before they can do that, another country rises up that's bigger, and that's Babylon. And so Babylon is the invader of Judah. That's Daniel, Meshach, all those guys. That's when that happened. And the Assyrians are the invaders to the north. I know that's a lot, but we'll get through it. Now, the Assyrians are horrible people. Poised on the border like a hurricane in the Gulf, the, the enemy of the Jewish nation, they were vicious. They were inhumane. They burned people in the sand. They would stake their tongue and just let them sit there to die. They did unspeakable things to women. They were horrible. The epitome of everything the Jewish people hated and everything they knew God hated. They could not believe that God could use these kind of people to bring judgment on them. Most Jews felt that the Assyrians were godless monsters who deserved God's full wrath and punishment. So, so here's the backdrop for the story. Jonah knew of these people. He knew how horrible they were. He hated them. They didn't deserve to live. He wanted them destroyed, and his hate for them grew into racism. Although Israel was at peace when Jonah lived, Jonah hated the Assyrians with a passion. So to recap for our purposes, the evil Assyrians are to the north, 
they're ready to pounce. Northern Israel could feel the tension. They thought God would protect them no matter what. It was inconceivable to them that God would use that nation to bring punishment on them. So when the prophets came to tell them that, they didn't believe it. Yet that's exactly what God was doing. Picture the most pagan, God-hating people on the planet. Ruthless, no compassion, no heart, bloody killers, much like ISIS. Then picture an entire nation of them. Growing and poised in Canada. They hate Americans. They want to kill us. Now imagine, and it's not hard at all, that we've been a nation blessed by God, but living in the blessings and protection he's provided, and at the same time, worshiping other gods and turning our back on him. Just picture that for a minute. Now imagine that God's going to bring punishment on us and on ISIS but he's going to use ISIS to punish us first, and then he'll destroy them. Imagine that picture, and you're beginning to understand the story of Jonah. And with that, we're ready to go back to the first verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God gave a specific command to Jonah probably a routine prophet instruction, probably in Prophecy 101. When he went to school to be a prophet, God said, these are the kind of things I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you to go talk to people. You're not going to want to go talk to them because they're not going to want to hear what you want to say, but that's what a prophet does. This is bread and butter for you. Not complicated. Go to Nineveh. Tell them to turn back to me. Clear, concise, not confusing. God is clear on what he wants them to do. Pretty simple, right? Not so much. From the very first verse, the tension starts to develop in this story. And it's all about prejudice and hatred and racism. God specifically chose Jonah with this specific message. God is going to use Jonah to expose an area of Jonah's blindness to Jonah. He's going to use this situation to shape and mold his prophet into the man he wants him to be. Those in the South wouldn't have got past the first 10 words of this story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. They would have immediately said, Jonah, he's from the North. They betrayed the true Jewish nation. They deserve God's judgment. Why in the world would God speak to a prophet in the North? How can this be? Their own prejudice would rise up within them. They were drinking haterade. They hated the idea. They judged others, and they held on to their bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred. If you want to see this hatred played out in Jesus' day, the northern kingdom, when they split, they were no longer allowed to come to Jerusalem. So they formed their own temple in the northern area so they could go to Mount Gerizim and bring worship to God. That area is known as Samaria. This tension is going to build for the next 700 years. The Jewish people in the south hate the Samaritans because they're part of the northern kingdom. But just in a few verses here, I can feel the temperature rising. For Jonah, the tension comes in verse 2. Arise, sir, and go to Nineveh. Really? Jonah was probably excited at this point. God is finally going to blast them. I can't wait to go to Nineveh. He's going to show those people what they deserve. He's going to avenge what they've done. I'm packing for Nineveh, God. I'm going. I'm ready. I've been waiting for this my whole life. I am ready to go, God. Let's go destroy the Assyrians. And then God says, call out against them. Wait a minute. Jonah had to realize at this point, God, you only call out against people when you want them to turn to you. You see, otherwise you just destroy them. I thought we were going up there to punish them and destroy them for what they deserve. You're going up there to save them, God. It's that compassion you have, God. What are you doing? You're going to rescue them. I've already decided they don't deserve you, God. They don't deserve you. They're not one of us. Look at what they've done. Do you know all of their sins? Well, God says, yes, for their evil has come up before me. God knows their sins. He knows what they've done. 
And yet he still loves them. He still wants them to turn. By the way, just like he still loves ISIS and wants them to turn. Jonah says, you're not bringing wrath and destruction. You're going to try to flood them with love and compassion. You're not, God, you can't be serious. You're not going to forgive them. You see, I don't care about them. They don't deserve you. I deserve you. They don't deserve you. I don't care about them. I can't forgive them. I will not forgive them. I would rather die than watch you go try to save them. And we're going to learn this story is all about God's compassion. Contrasted with our prejudice. And it starts in the very first verse. Let me put this in perspective for you. This would be like asking a Jewish refugee to go to Berlin at the height of Hitler's power, to march into the city square of Berlin wearing a Star of David. Tell them that the God of a foreign land has noticed their evil and they better repent or God will destroy them. Jonah, we're going to see, didn't want to deliver that message, not because it seemed like a suicide mission. He was a prophet, not afraid of anything. We're going to learn in chapter 4 that the reason he turns and runs from God is because his hatred for the Assyrians fueled him to leave. He wasn't afraid to go. He refused to go. From Jonah's perspective, the Assyrians and everyone in Nineveh deserved nothing but God's full wrath. And he said, not me, God, you send somebody else. I'd rather die than see one Assyrian surrender to you and your compassion and your love. You see, God, I've already decided what heaven looks like, and they don't get to go. Jonah is so full of hatred, and that's exactly why God chose him. God does not randomly do anything. God chooses all of us to do something for him because there's a lesson in it to learn. God's requests chisel away at our shortcomings. He's always going to ask you to stretch out of your comfort zone because he wants to change you. We'll see that even though Jonah flees from the Lord, even though he wants to God to pick somebody else. God keeps pursuing Jonah because this lesson is for Jonah. God still loves everyone even though Jonah hates and even Jonah when he's hating. God's going to use this situation to expose his prejudice. The word of God is a light and it's going to expose in Jonah what he's otherwise blind to. He's not aware that he's this prejudiced. He's going to learn, but he's not aware. Jonah's hatred and prejudice versus God's love and compassion. That's the story of Jonah. It's not just a children's story anymore. It's much more than felt books and coloring books and veggie tales. God has exposed Jonah's weakness and revealed to Jonah what he wants him to change. The Word of God does that. It always reveals what we don't want to see, but yet that which God wants us to change. So Jonah heads to Nineveh, excited to see how God is going to help them. Not exactly. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it, for their evil has come for me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Notice, away from the presence of the Lord is repeated. Jonah doesn't care about Tarshish. He doesn't care where he goes. He just wants to get away from God. That's all he cares about. Now, you may be thinking, oh, well, Tarshish, that's a suburb of Nineveh, right? I mean, he's got to be headed that direction. No. Nineveh is east over the land. See, one, three, Nineveh, number four. He goes down to Joppa, at the coast, gets on a boat, and heads that way, okay? And if you kept going that way, um, Tarshish is probably past Ed's office out into the parking lot somewhere. He's going as far as he can go to get away from God and to get away from Nineveh. And he's doing it to get away from the presence of God. But yet Jonah knows he can't run from God. And I hope we know that too. David knew it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness has overcome me and the light about me at night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. Jonah is a prophet of God. He knows he can't run from God. But he just wants to get away. He's running from the truth as God says it is. God wants him to confess and change, and Jonah doesn't want to. And in rebellion, his first thought is, I got to get away from everything God. I got to get away from God's people. I got to get away from God's land. I got to get away from God's holy scriptures. I got to get from the presence of God in the temple, from anything and anyone who could remind me of the real reason that I'm running. You see, I just got to get away. Tarshish was that place for him as far as possible. I can go there, I can reload, I can get a fresh start. I can stop being a prophet for God. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Notice in this story he's continuing to go down. He went down to Joppa, he went down to to the ship, and he's going to go down to Tarshish. He is moving away from God. Now here's the thing, not every opportunity is God's will. When Jonah went to Joppa, guess what he found? A ship going to Tarshish. Perfect. A ship, what a blessing. If God didn't want me to go there, that ship wouldn't be going. I'm right here. That ship is going to Tarshish. This is fantastic. Look at how God is blessing me. If he didn't want me to go, why would this ship be here? And guess what? Other people are going too. I'm not the only person going to Tarshish. I'm going too. And they're going Everybody's doing this. This is great. Now you must remember that when you start to run from God, Satan will put wind in your sails. He can't make you go, but once you make the decision to go, he can grease the skids. He's all in to help you get away from God. Which leads to another observation. Jonah paid the fare. At least he thought he did. Running from God always costs you something. He's going to find out how much it actually costs in a little bit. And the other thing is that running from God always takes us down. Jonah's going to go down to Joppa, down to ship, down in the sea, and down into the belly of a fish. He's on his way down. So the word came to Jonah and he ran. What about you? The word of God has come to each of us. There are instructions and commands in scriptures that God brings to us. There are things that he tells us to do. When you're reading the Bible, God highlights things specifically for you to show you things that you don't see about yourself so you can confess those sins, so you can give to others, so you can forgive others. You can admit to yourself and to others what God wants to expose. When the Word of God comes to you, when the Holy Spirit highlights an action step, Do you join to rise and meet God in his presence? Or do you try to get away from all things God? Let me bring this home a bit. When God reveals something to you in your life that displeases him, through scripture, through circumstances, through prayer, and through the believers who love you, there's nothing random about that. You've been chosen for this lesson. The word of God came to you. It's been crafted just for you. God saw something in your life that he doesn't like, and he's going to work with you to change it. He plans to use those in the community around you to help you change. You see, the word of God challenges us in our weaknesses. That's why we skip over certain passages. We avoid certain group studies, certain people, certain churches. We want to go to a church that doesn't expect change. We want to feel spiritual when we leave, not convicted. We want to rationalize or spiritualize our disobedience, and we want to be around other people who won't challenge us or who are doing the very same thing we're doing. I'd rather be around a bunch of people whose spiritual lives are a sham, we think, than to have to actually deal with the real me and the real God who wants to change me. You see, I'm running to Tarshish. When the word of God comes into our lives and we feel vulnerable and exposed, our first response is to flee from the presence of the Lord. 
We never want to admit about ourselves what God knows us to be true. So we don't actually go down to Tarshish and get on a boat. We just begin to move away from the presence of the Lord in our lives. We go away from those who know us and love us and those who we know will hold us accountable. The people of God that God has put in our lives, our small group, the closest Christian friends, our accountability relationships, the places or land of God, church is no longer a priority. And if we're really polished, it's just that church is no longer a priority. I'm going to go to a new church. There's a boat going to a new church to Tarshish and that becomes our escape because there they don't know what God has exposed. Perhaps there we can pick new accountability groups and new small groups and we can find rules that are less stringent and we can look for people who will agree with us or at least not speak truth to us. They can set the opinions of others, even other Christians, over God's word. I'm going to gain a fresh start. We spiritualize our decision to run. But here's what we don't realize. The same lesson God wanted us to learn in this circumstance is going with us to whatever circumstance we move to. We all try to run from Tarshish. And as a result, we've spent time in the belly of the fish of rebellion. Before we cried out to God to be rescued from the mess that we created and submitted to the one who loves us too much to let us stay where we are. That's what it means to surrender, to know that God knows best. I want God's best, so the answer is always, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? The message of God was given to Jonah. It was not only to teach the Ninevites something, but to teach Jonah something. And when you read the word of God, the Holy Spirit comes to you and prompts you to action. As you're reading the word of God or as you're listening to a sermon or as you're praying or you're listening to worship music, the spirit of God says, I want you to forgive that person. I want you to admit your sin. I want you to submit to the Lord's lordship. The message and the lesson tied to it, they're they're just for you. Do you see yourself in this story? God could have given this message to any prophet, but he chose Jonah because Jonah needed to change. And so do we. The next time God challenges you to change, ask yourself this question, why do I want to run? What is it in me that makes me not want to do this? The reason that we want to run is the key to the lesson God has for us. Fear was not why Jonah ran. He knew that if God presented the truth in compassion and love, they would turn. He knew. He'd been a prophet. He told people about God for years. He knew that God still loved them. He ran out of hatred. We're going to see that Jonah would rather die than bring salvation to Assyrians. The word of God specifically came to Jonah to address that hatred in his heart. So when you're packing to flee, when, you, when God has challenged you with the truth about yourself and you're packing to flee, ask yourself, what's driving that decision? You see, it's our motives where God does his work in our hearts. That's where he transforms us. Moses told me years ago, we're all Jonas. And I think he's right. In more ways than he knew, are, are you running from God? Is there a truth you just don't want to face? Are you running from the people who know you the best? Are you running from the places of God? Is there a certain passage of scripture that you just don't want to read? Are you running from your prior church, from prior relationships? Are you running from your past? Are you trying to hide what you've done from God? God had love and compassion for the Assyrians. I know his grace and compassion is waiting for you. The word of God has come to you. Take your eyes off Tarshish and stop running. It's not your answer and the Assyrians aren't really your problem. Maybe you're running from a person. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's that man that slept with your wife, stole your family, and now lives in your old home. How about the person that sold drugs to your kids or to you? How about that person who used you for their own perversion and took away what can never be replaced? What about your friend who's always there for you but was sleeping with your husband? 
maybe the adult who took advantage of your innocence as a child, maybe a parent who wasn't there for you, but was there to hurt you, maybe a man of God who was anything but that. Why are you running? Has the word of God revealed to you what you want to hide? Are you sipping haterade? Is your heart full of prejudice and hatred for certain people or certain groups of people? Are there certain people that you would rather see judged than saved? Maybe for you it's a race of people or a group of people, maybe rich people, maybe those of other religions, maybe Muslims, Jewish, others. Maybe it's black people, maybe it's white people, maybe it's Hispanic people. You know, whoever it is, them. Because them in your heart is not you. Maybe for you it's us, people who claim to follow Christ. I don't know. Is there anyone on this planet that you really don't want to see saved? You want to get to the heart of your anger and prejudice? If God told you to go share the gospel with someone, who would you hate for that someone to be? If you'd rather die than help a specific person or group of people find Christ, then you're beginning to understand Jonah and why he ran, and you're beginning to understand why this is far more than some children's story. The word of the Lord comes to you today. We're all Jonas. The light has exposed something that we want to hide. Our head screams to run. But the quiet voice in our heart and in our soul tells us to run to the altar. To go back to the presence of God. Back to Nineveh. You see, we find ourselves in a desperate prayer of confession and repentance. All who run to Tarsus are eventually driven to cry out to God. No matter how hard you try, you can't run from his presence. No matter how hard you try, he will not allow you to keep prejudice in your heart long term. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, I don't care what people did to you, it doesn't matter. If you hold on to it, God will clean that out eventually. And if you refuse to acknowledge it and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will end up in the belly of a whale until you deal with it with God. You can't run from his presence. It's right next to you right now. We just have to tell him, God, I'm just like Jonah. I'm tired of running. I've been unable to forgive. I have prejudice in my heart. There's actually people that I don't want to see in heaven. God, please forgive me. Let me fall at your feet. Change me who I am. I don't like being this person. Or maybe you go to God and you say, look, I'm just like Jonah. I'm just tired of running. My place is at your feet. Or maybe you just need to let go of some hatred in your heart. And you just tell God, God, my name is Jonah, and I need you to change my heart like you changed his. Maybe you need to surrender to God for the very first time. Maybe your entire life has been fleeing to Tarshish to get away from God and God's people, and maybe you're realizing today it's just time to come home. You see, no matter how you find yourself, there are always things in our lives that God wants to change. There are people that we don't love that God wants us to love. There are people that in our arrogance and in our salvation and in the safety of our churches, we look out at them and say, God is not for you. And yet Jesus says you love your enemies. You care for your enemies. So we're going to learn in this story, in the message of Jonah, that all of us are running from God in some area of our life. There are people we need to forgive. There are actions that we've taken. There are things God's asked us to do that we've said no to. And when we begin to see this story, we begin to see ourselves. So I'm glad you're here for the journey. Uh, my hope is that as you begin to read, this is an amazing four-chapter book. Uh, we're going to spend eight to 12 weeks on it, I think. Um, because the message is that important. This week, I want you to think about 
and pray about, God, reveal to me where I'm blind. Think about the one person, this is real simple, the one person that you really don't want to see in heaven. We can admit it, they're there. Heaven's a big place, okay? I mean, they don't have to be in your neighborhood, but we need to get them in heaven, right? Think about that one person. Begin praying for their salvation. And when you get comfortable doing that, begin praying that God will use you to bring salvation to them. That's when you begin to change. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you've given us. I thank you for the story of Jonah. I thank you that your Bible is not full of perfect people who did perfect things, but they're full of people just like me who struggle with racism and prejudice and hatred and self-arrogance and pride and we receive the gift you give us and then we think that we deserve the right to decide who else can have it. Forgive us, God, in our arrogance. Forgive us when we sit in churches behind stained glass and point to them. Help us, God, to be a place where all are welcome. We're a group of messed up people being transformed by God's word. So God, as we leave today, would you just burden us with that person? Burden us with those people. Examine our hearts, shine your light on it, and reveal to us anyone that we're holding unforgiveness, prejudice, or hatred against. And then, God, would you give us the faith and trust in you to run to you instead of away from you so that you can clean that ugliness out of our hearts? God, please don't leave us where we are right now. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.